light. <laughs> it's crime culture time. Hi, it's crime Getting culture time. Getting with it. <laughs> Getting uh, jiggy with it. I did an exorbitant amount of research for this episode. You kept giving me updates, and I was like, oh shit, she's going deep. Oh, yeah. oh boy. I went down quite a rabbit hole for this. Though, so, I mean, that's fair. I think... it. It's going to be really good, though. Yeah. And I'm going to say really sorry good in advance and... if it's really fucking echoey in here, because I'm in a different <laughs> room today. Uh, today's episode, as you can see by the title, is about Black Mirror. Yay! Yay! Also, fun fact that you're probably going to already know. Do you know why it's called Black Mirror? I'm going to get into it. Oh, Let fuck. me get All into right, it. Well, then never mind. Never mind. I'll just go die then. <laughs> that's, that's fucking... I'm useless. It's fine. Level one. We're going to talk about what Black Mirror means. But this is also so going to be gonna part one. So we're going to go to first base? What? So we're going to go to first base? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be part one just because... There's I was so doing much research, information. <laughs> yeah. As I was doing research, I was like, wow, there's a lot to talk about. And then as I was writing out the outline for this, it's currently sitting at 25 pages, and it's, <laughs> it's not that done yet. That is more than it was yesterday. <laughs> yes. It's 25 pages currently, and I uh, haven't oh even gotten, like, I haven't even scratched the surface on series four. So. Um, Good. It's going to be a lot. So let's just start getting into it, because there's going to be so much to talk about um this episode might run long today we don't know we'll see but it probably will yeah so, so um buckle up if, anyone, if anyone doesn't know black mirror is a british television series created by char charlie brooker i almost said charles yep. <laughs> i was gonna no, give him a real that's his father name. that's his uh, father yes uh charlie brooker and it's produced by zepatron for endemol i don't know if anyone cares about that well, that's info, info I think that I, I was on those medications at one point. <laughs> yeah. Um, when talking about the show's content and structure, Brooker noted, quote, each episode has a different cast, a different setting, and even a different reality. But they're all about the way we live now and the way we might be living in 10 minutes time if we're clumsy. Which is If we're clumsy. Horrifying. I also love the wording there. If we're clumsy. Yes. Uh, in 2015, Netflix commissioned, uh, sorry, September of 2015. Netflix commissioned a series of 12 episodes, which would later be divided into two separate series, the third and the fourth. So they call them series and not seasons. I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask. I didn't know if that was like a Haley thing or if that was a Black Mirror thing. And now we know it's a Black no, Mirror thing. Just another way Mirror to be thing. really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, as of December 29th, 2017, 19 episodes of Black Mirror have been released, including one special, concluding the fourth series. On March 5th, 2018, Netflix ordered a fifth season of Black Mirror. I just looked it yeah, up before we started recording, and they have already started filming, but yep. they have not uh, said like a release date or anything yet. Well, it, in true British fashion, though, it's probably going to take until my firstborn, who I have not had yet, turns 18 for the fifth season to come out, a la Sherlock. I don't know. Lots of, lots of people have said that it's probably going to be sometime at the end of this year or beginning of next year. Because Netflix usually, like, waits to, like, the last minute to announce. 
they usually wait like right no like, you're two right two weeks before they drop the season to tell you hey this is going to be out but at the same yes. time british productions are notoriously i don't know if it's due to attention to detail i don't know if it's because they want the viewers to suffer maybe it's a combination of both but they take forever to release the next season or series as opposed to in the US not only do we have the seasons coming out at regular intervals like say fall or spring but sometimes they'll even split the seasons so there's a small break but then you get more episodes we're real spoiled yeah, the here mid-season finales which are bullshit I remember when I was a kid, I remember a time when there was no mid-season finales. You got 10 episodes and that was it. Exactly. <laughs> or what we were just talking about before we started recording, uh, Boy Meets World always had like yep. 22 episodes per yep. season. And there was and never all of them were perfect. Yes, they were absolutely genius. But this is not the podcast for that. So No. But also, um, Boy Meets World is 18 years old. So, yes. like, uh, there's, there was just an article, we were talking about it. It Great. No. I, I could do an entire Boy Meets World podcast. But... Please? <laughs> that's Please? beside the point. Anyway, uh, so as Caitlin teased already, what does Black Mirror mean? <laughs> and uh, I feel like people kind of found out about it recently. But he... Um, Charlie Brooker said in a 2014 interview uh, for BBC4 that uh, it's a double meaning, and he said that, quote, any TV, any LCD, any iPhone, any iPad, something like that, if you just stare at it and it looks like a black mirror and there's something cold and horrifying about that, and it was such yep. a fitting title for the show. I'm looking into my black mirror right now to see if I'm a little horrified, and granted, whenever I look at my face, I'm a little horrified, but I can see what he means. Yes. It's kind uh, of like... <laughs> Sorry. This is, my, this is one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> <laughs> he joked, I mean, uh, I don't know what else we would have called it. Spooky technology time? It would have been rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even like... Because I think there's a lot of... And you probably are going to talk about this too. There's a lot of parallels to the Twilight Zone. Yes. And yeah, there's, there's a couple of things in there. Um, I mean... He also, he also he went on to say, like uh, quote... I quite like the fact that people are watching it on their TV or their laptop or their smartphone or whatever, and as the end credits start running and the screen cuts to black, they see themselves reflected. Ooh, I didn't even think about that, because I skipped yeah. the credits on Netflix. <laughs> Usually after an episode of Black Mirror, I'm dissociating so hard that I just don't uh, pay attention to anything like that. Uh, one um, in particular. In, where was I? Um... You're the premise of the series is that technology can mirror or even magnify the ugliest or blackest aspects of human nature, evidenced by social media witch hunts and the desperation for constant likes and public approval. Which, yeah. Me. Uh, in a YouTube analysis by Harry's Moving Castle, which I will reference a bunch because he did in-depth analysis of like each episode, which I used as uh, references for just like a couple of little things. Uh, okay. He comments on how the breaking of the screen in the intro reflects the cracked and warped image we have of ourselves when looking into technology. It's like breaking the artifice of the fake reality, which I thought was a really cool and interesting point. I was, he yeah, also that's mentions, a good way to put it. Yeah, right? He also mentions how the poster for the show is, uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the original poster because Netflix wasn't, um, wasn't really 
um, the host of Black Mirror. I don't know if that's no. what you call it, but they didn't. Um, they, they acquired weren't... the rights to the show after right. it was like after the first two series. So right. the poster, I don't know if is on anywhere on Netflix, but it's. I don't um, know if I've seen it. It's like someone holding out a phone, and it's all like cracked in the middle, and like the crack is like oh, spiraling yeah, out. Oh yeah, I've seen it. And it's I've like a person's that. face that looks like they're smiling, but it looks like because of the cracks, it looks like demonic. Yeah. Um, so he mentions how in the poster, the crack screen looks somewhat like a spider's web, which could possibly symbolize how technology is trapping us, and mm-hmm. it is the literal breaking of the fourth wall that forces us to look away from the technology and see it and the world around us for what it really is. Whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty, I don't want to call it deep. Yeah, but, but it's, it's like, deep. it's still a, like a super interesting point. Yeah, so, no. Um, I'm going to start going into each episode. We're going to do, we're going to do a deep do, dive. Yeah, deep dive. Um, episode by episode, we're going to do series one, two, and I think part of series three, as long as this episode doesn't go like way too long. We'll 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 play it by ear. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. We'll let you know oh, before right. we like sign off. Don't worry. Yeah. We're not just gonna cut off in the middle and be like, so then my next point being Cut to black, soprano style. No, cut to black, black mirror style. You're just stuck looking at yourself in the reflection of the TV. You weren't even watching us on TV. All right, so the first episode of series one, if anyone's seen the show, wow, what a, what a first episode. That, and um, that was the thing, because that was initially, you, do you know this about how it was hmm. going to be a different episode that was the first one? No, I don't. But we, oh. we can talk about that after, after, we've, uh, after I finish the uh, explanation of this. Okay. So the first episode is called The National Anthem, which is a rough one. So the premise of the whole episode is that this Princess Susanna is a member of the royal British family and she's been kidnapped. And to ensure her safe return, the kidnapper demands that the country's prime minister, Michael Callow, has sex with a pig on live TV. Otherwise, he's going to kill the princess. Yeah. (laughs) Rough one. They really hit you right (laughs) in the face as soon as they start. Uh, Callow refuses to be blackmailed, obviously, but public opinion is gradually turning against him, and while security forces are trying to locate the kidnapper, every episode, every effort has failed. Under pressure, Callow finally agrees to fulfill the demand. The British people gather together in public places and watch the shocking broadcast, with no one realizing that the kidnapper has already released the princess 30 minutes before the sex act begins. The kidnapper commits suicide by hanging, and he is later revealed to be an artist who planned the stunt in order to make a statement about people's obsession with the media, which is, like, the entire premise of the whole show. And one one year later, they cut to at the very end, Cal's approval ratings have fully recovered, but his relationship with his wife has suffered a heavy blow. No shit. To put it, I was going to say to put it lightly. Yeah. (laughs) Um... I so I think once <laughs> the first episode, I think if your husband cheats on you, it's tough to come back from that. Like if he fucks like, another woman, it's tough to come back from that. If your husband fucks a pig on live TV, on live television, to see. I think it's extremely difficult to I come mean, back from like that. It's not like he wanted to go and do that. Like he did it so that they could like save the princess. Yeah, I know, but I, know, I but think I know. I, I think, understand. But I understand at the same both time, sides. Like. Would you fuck a dude that had fucked a pig? I think not. Nah, no, 
No. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the first episode brings up a couple of interesting societal points that make a few appearances throughout the series going forward. Things like the government's lack of control of the internet, the power of a viral video, and the media sensationalizing a tragedy for monetary gain. All things that come up in some form in other episodes as well. Right. Uh, things like, uh, what, what am I going at? Uh, throughout the episode, we see that the public, how the public feels about the controversy through a media poll and through um, little scenes of multiple groups talking about what is going to be going on. And during the last act of the episode, we see when the event is taking place, quote unquote, uh, we event. see more of the public's ah. reaction to the event than the event itself. So during that piece of the episode, they Can they we... do cut to the screen with his face of what's going on. But yes. um, yeah, most of that scene is people watching the TV right. and watching it's it happen. Everybody's reactions. Yeah. And so this is an example of the hundreds of reaction videos and game streams that are all over the internet now. But instead of yep. staying within a single fandom, it was on a national scale. Yep. And the event was intended to be a stunt to awaken the populace to their own obsession obsession and fascination with mass media because the country is so wrapped up in the event and what is going on. No one sees that the real center of the tragedy, what the the crux of the what episode the girl, is about. Yeah. What, yeah. That she's been released. She's no longer in danger. This is she's a half hour before this thing even started. Yeah. Yeah, no. Can we also, uh, from here on out, instead of referring to it as the event, refer to it as Porkageddon? Porkageddon? Well, I'll get into Piggate in a second. Piggate! Um, <laughs> <laughs> the initial conception of the episode involved a celebrity carrying out a sex act. Um, years earlier, Brooker had the idea for a short story where Terry Wogan, who's a radio host in the UK, um, would go on live TV and have full sexual intercourse with the sow. That's his quote. Uh, in order oh. to secure the release of the kidnapped princess. Brooker then watched an episode of 24 and thought of parodying it, um, though it, it, quote, seemed more interesting to play it ultra straight and to have the viewer's initial reaction be one of laughter and disbelief. Brooker notes that other animals similar to a pig were considered for the act and... Uh, he says, Sheep. quote, <laughs> yeah, the fact Sheep. that this was like in a writer's room, they're like, all right, let's. So, let's what get animal down to do business. we want to fuck today, boys? Yeah. So he said, quote, we thought all through the farmyard and even considered a giant <laughs> wheel of cheese, but chose a pig. <laughs> you needed something that straddles the line between comic and horrifying. Perfect. I mean,. Given my aversion to cheese, I feel like that would be worse. If I had to fuck, like, something... If you had it to would fuck be, some cheese? If I had to fuck some cheese, like, I think I'd be like, no, give me the pig. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, the episode was partially inspired by a controversy where Gordon Brown, a member of, uh, a member of the public... Sorry, I wrote something weird. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. Something weirder than a diplomat fucking a pig? No, I, I think I just left out words because I was so tired. You, you to were that you were that <laughs> Kermit at the typewriter, Jif. You were just going. Yeah. And you knew uh, what you so were saying, but your fingers couldn't after keep speaking, up. Uh, and yeah, it was based on that. that. I don't know right. where I was I've going heard, with that. I've had that happen to me before. Yeah. Somebody calls somebody a bigot after speaking. Why not? Uh, Brooker said in an interview that he and... 
Connie Huck, which is his wife, um, yes. were on the set watching during the filming of the scene where Callow has sex oh. with the pig. He claims that amusingly, the director didn't call cut and instead let the actor continue to get closer and closer to the pig, putting his hand on the pig's back until the actor said, I'm not going any further. <laughs> <laughs> is that workplace abuse? I don't know. I mean... Directors have done shittier things in the past. That's true. I feel like I feel like that's that's okay. Like I I think if anything, if he went further, that would have been on the actor. Just and a not little on workplace bestiality fun. I mean, some people have a water cooler. Other people have a pig that they gather around and trade stories yep. over and about. So. Uh, so this actually, this episode actually uh, hit a little too close to home after a while, um, after an event called Piggate, which refers to an uncorroborated anecdote that during his university years, former British Prime Minister David Cameron put, quote, <gasps> a private part of his this. anatomy into a dead pig's mouth as I part of an initiation. This. Yes. Yep. It that'll, was, that'll do, pig. That'll wacky. do. Oh, there's a cat up here. I don't know if he's going to make any noise. Muzzy, 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 muzzy. Yes. Uh, the anecdote was reported by Michael Ashcroft and Isabel Oaksh- Oakshot uh, in an unauthorized biography names. of Cameron, Call Me Dave, attributing oh. the story to an anonymous member of the par- parliament who was, quote, a distinguished Oxford contemporary of Cameron's. Oh. Um, parts of the book were published in the Daily Mail on September 21st, 2015, prior to its actual publication. Charlie Brooker denied any public any prior knowledge of this claim, though both the story and the Black Mirror episode became popular topics of comment with the hashtag SnoutRage that appears <laughs> in the national anthem as one of the several popular hashtags on Twitter. Snout-rage. And uh, Yeah, people started using that hashtag to refer to this event. I'm... Br- I'm loving these puns. I'd just yeah, right. like to take a moment to say I am loving these puns. <laughs> Brooker has called the event a, quote, coincidence, albeit quite a bizarre one, and was quite confused when he first heard the allegations, saying, quote, I did genuinely for a moment wonder if reality was a simulation, whether it exists only to trick me. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yep. He's a wacko. Good. He's got some really great Good. quotes that I'm going to get into. I don't know if my favorite one is in is going to be in this part, but I'll I'll tell you when we get to it. Okay, okay, so that's that's episode one. Now, what was originally supposed to be episode one? Um, I don't know if it was originally supposed to be episode one, but this wasn't supposed to be the first episode. Um, mm-hmm. I learned this in I took a class on writing reviews for TV, film, theater, and publications written publications and we actually studied the first season of black mirror that's so cool it was really cool and it was how i got into it there were only two seasons at the time and the first episode that we watched was the national anthem because that was the first episode in the series (laughs) but also oh i felt sick you Um, watched it around people oh yeah no i watched it with a classroom full of peers (gasps) and my professor though he's great but um oh god still that's just yeah it was something else it was something else but um so but what he told us was initially it wasn't supposed to be i like he didn't say what episode was supposed to be the first episode but this wasn't supposed to be the first episode but they wanted something to draw people in 
So oh, it was yeah, kind of a definitely because <laughs> and the episode was all about drawing people in and it basically perfectly encapsulated the theme, the ongoing theme of Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. So they put that one as the first one because just like how the public was getting more and more drawn in by this by whatever was going on with Piggate or Pigmageddon or yeah, whatever yeah. we want to call it. Um that's what they that's the goal that they were looking to achieve for Black Mirror was to have the public become so fascinated by this concept. And I think it worked. Definitely. Yeah. Because after that people were talking about it. People were talking about it and also it doesn't get and more importantly, people were tuning in the next week because I mean, if on your first episode you have the prime minister fucking a pig, what what what, can you do to top that? Nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits, and what are you going to do to beat yourself the next week? Yeah, definitely. It was, and so, but so that I thought that was a very good idea on my part, or on yes. his part, on their part. Yes, I, I actually came up with Black Mirror. I am Charlie Brooker. Charlie Brooker um, is my pseudonym. So is Caitlin Mahar. Let me get into. Uh, I'm actually a lizard person. We're definitely going to be running long. Um, yeah. Uh, so episode two of series one is 15 million merits. Yes. And um, this it's about this sad. guy, Bing, and he feels trapped living in this. Does enclosed... he feel like he needs to get out? Uh, I'll get there. Ah! I'll get there in a second. <laughs> he feels trapped living in an enclosed automated space as a member of society that rides power generating stationary bites in exchange for merits, which is a form of currency that they can use to buy things that they need. One day, he hears a girl named Abby singing in the bathroom and falls in love with her. He decides to gift her 15 million merits so that she can use them to buy a ticket for a popular talent show. And um, she reluctantly accepts the offer because she's like, I don't even know you. And you're giving me these 15 million merits that'll take you fucking forever to get back. Ho, use him! So she accepts and she enters the contest where she's given a psychotropic beverage to drink before she goes on stage. And the judges are really impressed with her singing, but they suggest that she is better suited for pornography um, because of her She's looks. She's fucking hot. Yeah. So she accepts the offer, unable to think clearly because of the drugs they gave her before she went on stage. And Bing returns to the stationary bikes, determined to earn back all of the merits he needs to enter the contest himself. And when he finally manages to buy a new ticket, uh, he enters the stage and takes the opportunity to express his outrage at the system and threatens to commit suicide while the other members are watching in the audience. When he finishes talking, the judges offer him a weekly show where we, he will have the opportunity to rant about the system, and he accepts the offer. Which is sad. Yeah, very sad. Uh, so, like, very obviously, the main guy, I, I don't want to pronounce his last name wrong, but I know I'm going to. This is me pronouncing everybody's names wrong. I'm so Daniel excited. Kalu- Kaluuya? I think that's close. Kaluuya? I think it's close. It's pretty close. He's a fantastic actor. Obviously, he was in Get Out and Black Panther. Yes, he was. Yes, yes. he was. Uh, and then the girl, Abby, is played by Jessica Brown Finley, who is Lady Sybil in Downton Abbey. I've never watched Downton Abbey. Don't quibble, Sybil. Whatever. Um, so, <laughs> okay. Uh, this episode can be compared to sci-fi dystopian novels like 1984 and Brave New World because yes. of its plot surrounding a doomed relationship in a similar otherworldly type setting. Yes. And the um, te- the TV talent show that they have is, I mean, 
could be directly ripped from X Factor, America's Got Talent, or American Idol with the cocky judge playing the Simon Cowell type character. That's the guy that suggests yeah. that Abby goes into porn. Um, excuse me, he's not just the guy, he's Rupert Everett. I'm sorry. So Rupert Everett. Okay, alright. I don't know who that is. The gay best friend in my best friend's wedding. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen it. I this podcast is over. Okay. I can't do this with you. I'll anymore. start I'll just talk to myself now. So on okay. a deeper level with uh, Abby's storyline, it looks like the fate of many reality stars and Insta models in an article for the 405, which I'm, I'll probably link in the website. Alexandra Howard mentions how stardom for women equates to sexual objectification, which is exactly what happened to Abby. Yep. Because although she has a beautiful voice and the judges only care about her looks and in her effort to reach for the level of fame that she desires, she agrees to enter the porn industry. I don't. All right, can I take a can I take a minute to disagree with that a little bit? Well, yeah, she was given the drugs, so she was obviously. Oh no, that's not what I'm disagreeing about. Okay, good. Yeah, well, like, yeah, she was given the drugs, but I don't think it was necessarily that she sought fame. I think it was actually more that that was her one way out of the terrible life she was living, and I think yeah. that's kind of a metaphor for how many people i'm not saying get into the porn industry but get into whatever like whether it's gang violence or what have you how they are just really trying to get out of the negative situation they are in and they jump on the first chance even if it's not a healthy one necessarily yeah i can see that i mean because she was doing the same thing that bing was doing right like they just yeah. ride stationary bikes all day it's, it's basically like their entire enslavement job. yes yeah Yes. So to get out of that situation, because like you see the, at the end, they end but up. But I do in a think penthouse. I do think it's mainly it. It could be really attributed to the drugs that they gave her because obviously. Oh um, yeah. When when you see that Bing goes on the the show, he right. doesn't drink right. the uh, the stuff that they give him because he, he knows uses that an old container. Yeah, yeah. Oh um, yeah. Yes. Another clear point in the episode is video game culture, spe specifically targeted at addictive cell phone and Facebook games like Candy Crush and Farmville. Yep. And the little avatars are a clear connection to the characters in Nintendo Wii, which they look almost do, exactly do, like. Do, 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 do. Yes. The episode... <laughs> That's enough of that. The episode uh, really also looks at the concept of gamification, and that is an application of game design elements and game principles in non-game contexts to improve user engagement, organizational productivity, learning, employee recruitment and evaluation, usefulness of systems, physical exercise, traffic violations, voter apathy, and a ton more. So basically it's turning yeah. the boring real world situations that we have to do every day into a game to yeah. increase people doing it. Um, examples agree. of this in our lives would be exercise apps like Zombies Run, which turns exercise into a yep. game by running away from these zombies, or even loyalty cards for stores like Dunkin' and Starbucks that give you incentives for continuing to go to these places. Yeah. So it, it turns it into a game. Like, how many stars can you get, and then you get, like, a free thing? Yeah. So it's, it's and, happening and it's all over the place. it's a shitty free thing. It's yeah. like, it, like in the in the show, it's like, oh, you get an extra dab of toothpaste. Like, it's nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 
Um, it seems like the entire world around him has been gamified and he works to acquire the virtual tokens that can be used to skip ads and exit pop-ups that happen just like in everyday life because he yep. lives in a room that's entirely walls of iPads. Screens, which is, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Charlie Brooker said that um, uh, his wife helped write this episode and he described it as sort of her idea that she once remarked that she would, quote, basically be happy in a room where every wall was an iPad screen. You go, girl. Yes. Live your best life. Make that paper. Uh, episode three is called The Entire History of You. Yes. Yes. This is this is like a, a rough one because I watched it. I'm them, getting like, chills just thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in this episode, people have an implanted grain behind their ear, which allows them to record everything that they see in here. And using a remote, the user can perform a redo, which plays back their memories directly into their eye or to a video monitor. At a dinner that party, Liam is suspicious of his wife, Fee's behavior towards a man named Jonas. When returning home, Fee admits that she used to be in a relationship with him, and the next morning, Liam drunkenly heads to Jonas's house and forces him to delete every single memory of having sex with his wife, Fee. In the memories appearing on the monitor, Liam notices that from the time when... Uh, notices that Jonas has a memory from the time when he and Fee were already together. and. Yes. <laughs> and he's afraid that he might not be the biological father of his child. So when he returns home, he demands that Fee show him the redo of that specific sexual encounter in order to prove that they had used a condom. The redo verifies that the two had unprotected sex. Sometime later, after having been left alone in the house, Liam goes to the bathroom and uses a razor blade to cut out the grain from behind his ear. Moral of the story, kids. Don't use a condom. Is that the moral of the story? <laughs> Is it really? I'll get into the moral of the story, but first, <laughs> <laughs> the girl that uh, that plays Fee is Jodie Whittaker, who is the first female doctor of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. I didn't make that connection. And I, when I saw, because I don't really watch Doctor Who, I know people who do, but when I first saw the that they were making the first reincarnation or whatever you want to call it of Doctor Who, a female, a female, um, a woman, as they're normally called, um, mm -hmm. she looked really familiar, and I couldn't put my finger on it. Yeah, and that's now her. I understand. Oh, because she great. fucked Jonas. Okay. Yeah. And the guy oh. is Toby Kebbell, who was in Warhorse: Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I think my uncle worked on that movie. Not Ooh, entirely hey. certain. And the Fantastic Four. So that's where you probably know him from. Every no. once in a while, if I recognize like an actor's name or something, I'll try to just like. Ooh, that was my phone making that was a noise. Cute. That was new. <laughs> that uh, sounds yeah. like that sounds like one of those emergency alert systems like we were talking about previously. If I have it hooked up making in the car. Connections. <laughs> if I have it hooked up in the car, it sounds like the check engine light going on, so Elliot always has like a oh, mini heart attack. Oh, <laughs> that's really funny. No, it's I hilarious. think you should do that more often. Yeah, it's Oh, great. I think that's great. Anyway, getting back to it. Uh, yeah, back on if, topic. I, if I recognize somebody's name, I'll try to give them like a couple of things like where you might recognize them from. The okay. first two series were, I think, almost entirely British actors. I'm not 100% certain. But as, I mean, it, I, as I Netflix so. acquired the series, they started putting um, more American actors and stuff in it, which Elliot was they very mad about. They started branching out. He wanted it to yeah. be like 
he wanted to be an entirely British show, but I'll get to a quote about that. Very later. obscure. They, he yeah. wanted all obscurity. <laughs> I um, knew about Black Mirror before it was cool. All of that. I do. I do kind of like um, watching the first two series and not recognizing every single character. Like in um, Nosedive, which we'll talk about later. It's bright. Uh, bright. What's her name? Bryce Dallas Howard. Yes. Uh, yeah, and she's obviously in. Um, Jurassic World. So immediately I saw her and I was like, oh, Jurassic World. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of nice seeing actors that I don't see all the time and s- immediately connect them with like a different movie or TV show or something. But yeah. anyway, uh, so the message in this episode is whether the total information awareness and availability is something that we really want or more importantly, what we can actually handle. So the phrase ignorance mm-hmm. is bliss would apply perfectly here. So if he had no clue of what had happened between his wife and, and an Jonas. ex-boyfriend. Doctor Who then, and Jonas. Yes. Then he wouldn't have any problem with it. Or he might, because he might still be an insecure, straight white male. But Toxic we masculinity. Don't we don't know. We don't know. So Except um, we do. The applications for the grains aren't all bad, though. Having uh, definitive proof from literal eyewitnesses for a crime would be a major selling point, as well as having the ability to play back the best moments of your life that uh, exactly as they happened, which would be like maybe the birth of a child, your wedding, moments with a lost friend or family member. Like those would be good things to have. Yes. Um, But 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 he uses it (laughs) like insanely, Liam in the episode, he uses it insanely like going back on, and interviews see, like exactly like this is exactly what I did wrong like it's a little much yeah but I mean and even it's not even just that like there are two parts of these this episode that stick out to me mm-hmm. one is there was a girl in the episode and she had the grain removed it was in the beginning and people were yeah, saying I'm gonna well, get, why I'm gonna why get, why get talking okay. about that too okay because that's a detriment but also there's another scene where jonas is fucking doctor who or no liam is fucking doctor who mm-hmm. and they both are watching They're both just looking at old sexual encounters exactly and yeah. like that's so it's so sad creepy. to me it's, it's so not, yeah it's creepy but it's also it's just so so sad yeah that like and it's almost like it, it's it's like a very I don't want to call it thinly veiled, but it's just a it's a it's a bit of a reach, but it's almost like a concept of what pornography is doing to mm-hmm. people as well. Um, granted, kind yeah, of desensitizing it's, you to to different it's things. It's desensitizing. It's taking you away from what matters and every and the moment and all of that. And well, it's also all it's by just, a person by person basis because like yeah. Liam gets obsessed with it and is like most of the episode when you see he him, cray. he's he's yeah, he's looking at old memories and not really experiencing the world around. Him. I'm going to get to that in a second. Bitch, but, he cray. Uh, an- another good application would be um, what if you got to delete some cringeworthy moments from your life? That would be I mean, a good application for that grain. Yes, but they would still be in other people's memories, most That's likely. True. That's true. Like yeah, that unless time, you like, force them to delete it. That time you slipped on some mayo in the subway, people are going to remember that. That's true. It's all right. If, if I don't have to think about it, you know those times when you wake up at like 3 o'clock oh, in yeah. the morning, he's like, oh, oh yeah. what did I say in seventh grade that one time? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, but this also brings up questions about total government control and um, an omnipresent 1984 type watchful eye over all of society. Like, why would the government yeah. bother to install security cameras when people will happily pay money to have one installed into their own heads? And in this episode, it's not, you're not forced to have a grain because we do, like, at the dinner party, there's a girl that doesn't have one. Yeah. But still, yeah. like, it's become, I'm, I'll get to it in a second. Um, yeah. So we see evidence of the government surveillance yeah, even now with the information that we're willing to give our technology and who has control over it. And two mm-hmm. scary implications um, would be when uh, Liam attacks Jonas and Halam, yep. the girl that, that doesn't have the grain, she can't get a hold of the police because she doesn't have the grain, so right. she can't prove what is happening. So the police aren't right. even bothering to like pay attention to her. And yes. another time is when Liam is at the airport and he has to play back an entire his whole week as a security measure. So yep. it's a type of guilty until proven innocent stance and uh, having the government take that in this world also impl- implies that people without the grain might not be allowed to board a plane because they can't they don't have the ability to oh, prove themselves innocent and um, that's they're probably too. under a lot more scrutiny than if you had one and yeah. it also delves into the disconnect with reality when technology is present so like i said liam spends a large part of the episode with um like the the gray eye which shows him like looking back on old memories and agonizing over those memories rather than seeing the world around him. Yeah. And this also leads to Liam appearing as socially awkward in a lot of situations because of his disconnect with reality. So when he's not looking back on memories and you see him like at the dinner party trying to talk to people, it's right. like, it's kind of weird. It's kind of awkward. Yeah. Like he doesn't know how to talk to people. <laughs> No, and I mean, and I think that's becoming more and more prevalent in today's society with technology, regardless of whether there's a grain or not. Like, look at how many more people. I just had to, I was filling out a contact form the other day, and quite literally it was, it said, which are you more comfortable being contacted, like which mode of communication, and it was email or phone call. Mm Mm-hmm. Because... People don't want to talk to each other anymore. Yeah, they want to. So, it, it's just making be everyone socially awkward. It's so weird. I mean, I, I, I have a feeling I would have been socially awkward whether I had all of this technology at my fingertips or not. But for the people yeah. who would otherwise have been social butterflies, I mean, yes, my heart goes out to them. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, but, I'm not. I'm not a huge like throw myself into a situation where I don't know anyone. Like. Oh, I can talk not. to anyone. I'm not one of those people. But having a job where one of my main yeah. job points is talking on the phone, it has yep. helped a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot. So if you're a socially awkward person, like my first week, I would like have such nausea thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to have to call this person. I right. w- I was so nervous the first time I like accidentally dialed somebody's number wrong and I got the wrong person. <laughs> I just, I had like such like agita. But now I, I will call the wrong phone number. Like, somebody will write their phone number on something. I'm like, I can't even tell what number this is. I'm just going to dial and pray. <laughs> yep. And now, like, when I get the wrong number, I'm just like, oh, sorry. Like, it's not as big of a deal as you think it is. But it's, it is with all this technology. Like, it makes social interaction a bigger deal yeah. than just, like, an everyday thing. It's fucking crazy. Like, I mean, it's like when you're talking to your girlfriends and one of them goes on a date 
And the big thing is that the guy called her after. He didn't text yeah, her. Yeah, didn't text. It's like, what are you, a serial killer? Yes. <laughs> what are you calling I mean, me? Me, I'm just happy to hear back from somebody. Yeah, right. But for, um, for those bitches who get a choice in the matter, they're, yeah. they're hearing back either way. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. Michael's very nice. He always texts back. <laughs> Except when I'm like, hey, can you bring me this thing? In which case, he's like, Ugh. oh, I never got it. No. You, get, you ever get that one? Oh, I never I got I never get that one because I'm not dating <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> Neither am I, really. <laughs> <laughs> so the last interesting point uh, is the conversation at the dinner table and how weirdly familiar it feels when they're all sitting around mm -hmm. and talking about how crazy it is that Halam doesn't have the grain. It feels a lot like conversations that you'd have with a friend that doesn't have a smartphone yeah like have you yeah, ever seen absolutely. somebody out in the wild now with a flip i have phone? i have it's fucking crazy my grandma yeah my, <laughs> my dad grandma, didn't have a smartphone until like yep. the beginning of this year my grandma will not get a smartphone no yeah just like the the grain wasn't a requirement but everyone's like oh my god you don't have one so it must be like cell phone technology is now though i can say it's just oh, so it's just everyone has it so like everyone has it <laughs> are you an outcast for not having one well it's not even just being an outcast i can remember when we were starting college a lot of schools unh was not one of them but i told my mother that it was um because i desperately wanted an iphone a lot of schools required that students have a smartphone that's crazy. So that they could look things up in class or so that they could have access to their emails 24-7. So if a professor was going to be late or something like that, then the students would know about it and all that jazz. And of course, I don't remember who it was. I had a couple of friends who were required to have smartphones and it wasn't a big deal because they already had them. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I hopped on that gravy train and I was like, oh, I need one for college. <laughs> I was I was at a weird I was young at a weird time that yeah. um I had like a like I borrowed pretty much a, a huge brick cell phone when I was uh younger because yes. I was a babysitter. So I yep. god forbid if anything happened I needed to be able to get in contact with my parents or their parents or somebody. The cops. Yes. <laughs> so uh like we like I would take the kids to the park and stuff all the time. So I had in my possession a cell phone it was not mine and yeah. when i graduate when i was going into the seventh grade i got a cell phone but it was a call only i was not allowed yep. to have texting yeah didn't have internet or anything it was yep. just a phone number and when then we were your age we had to walk to school uphill both ways <laughs> and then i didn't get I wasn't allowed to use texting. Like I didn't have a cell phone plan with texting until I was almost a junior in high school. Yeah, that sounds about right. Sophomore, so that was about like 2010. Yeah. And then um, I actually got a smartphone once I graduated high school. Yep, that was my graduation present was an iPhone. Yeah. That That's a very white sentence and I apologize. <laughs> This is you me are from Connecticut. Checking my privilege. I yeah. I am hella from Connecticut. <laughs> so I, this this uh, grain thing is actually a little more real than you would think. 
Because I don't want to hear about this. Yeah, I in early that. 2002, so after like 9/11 hysteria. Oh god, I don't um, want A family this. in Florida volunteered to have microchips implanted under their skin, and the chips were advertised to carry 126 characters of data along with transmitting uh, medical information because the um, the husband had a um, a condition that it would be beneficial for him to have on-the-spot medical data at any point. So if he passed out somewhere, they could just scan it and know his medical condition and his name, address, because you you could have 126 characters on it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Weird, though. Even though the technology... I would never do it, but it's cool that that's a thing. Uh, So even though the technology was new and limited and uh, it wasn't directly advertised to the public because the chips weren't FDA-approved yet... It doesn't make it that far from the reality of this episode. I mean, we currently right. have microchips in our pets. How far are we from microchipping yeah, we ourselves? Do. I, don't I don't know. know. I don't the know too much information creepy. about like pet microchipping, but I mean, yeah, it's almost. I would say, in our I mean, area at least, or my area because you moved. Yes. Um, I would say like seventy-five percent of people have microchip pets. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, where I grew up, too, I can remember um, my friends from high school refer to me very often as Miss Three and a Half Hours Late because one time I planned a party at a friend's house and was three and a half hours late because I found two dogs in the middle of the road and I insisted that I had to save them right then and there. And they were two Portuguese water dog puppies and they... They were so freaking cute, and they definitely did not belong running down the street. Um, they were both, like, tied together, and then, like, they like they had gotten tangled up inside the harness that they had basically, like, ripped themselves away from. Aww. And my mom and I took them to the vet because they had microchips. Mm-hmm. And they scan the microchip, and it tells you the name of the owner... Um, or like their contact information if it doesn't have the names. Well, hmm. the the microchip said that the puppies had run here all run to Connecticut all the way from Portugal, um, um. which is yeah, <laughs> which is a little problematic because no. Um, and it turned out that the fam there was a family that lived like a block from where we found them, and they had just moved to the U.S. and they were Portuguese. That makes more sense. And yeah. the dogs they had imported from Portugal, Connecticut, um, so that they could have like Portuguese Portuguese water dogs. Damn. And they had not yet. You can go, I guess. I think it's like you call or you go online or something, and that's how you update the information. And they had not yet updated the information. They had had the puppies uh, for like a short amount of time. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. No. But so that was how. That's crazy. And yeah, so the it's only beneficial to uh, microchip your pets, dogs. but like about <laughs> microchipping yourself. That's fucking I crazy. Mean, well, and also, and there's one thing that they kind of touch on in the episode that I think is prevalent too. It's not just like yeah, there's a lot of good things, but also, for example, we've got a lot of crime in the world. We have a lot of bad people in the world, and who's to say that, for example, you witness a crime and they can just slice you open and take out your microchip yeah that's true which is i believe that happened to the girl who lost her microchip initially it got stolen from her by somebody who could not afford to get one themselves they took it 
they had it inserted into themselves like they stole her her little grain of rice microchip i haven't watched it in a while um but i thought she just electively chose not to have one i i i I could be wrong about that you're making a lot more dramatic (laughs) i thought that it was that she had it stolen and then she opted not to get it back put put back in Oh. Or somebody somebody in the episode definitely had theirs stolen because that was posed as a not a common problem, but something that people were it's aware of could happening. Happen, yeah. Yes. It was something that people were aware of happening was that somebody would steal the mic steal the little like microchip from people okay. and take it as their own. It's well, but at the same time, it's no different than getting your smartphone stolen because somebody can't yeah. afford or needs like a burner phone or whatever. Yep. And it's it's really it's no different. That's so or creepy. you sell it so that you can get some extra cash, like whatever, yeah. whatever floats your boat. Uh, one last interesting thing about this episode is that in 2013, Robert Downey Jr. optioned the episode to potentially make into a film by Warner Brothers and his oh. own production company, Team Downey. Oh. So he still he like optioned the rights to it. So there could be like a full length. A movie coming out around this premise. I love him. Right? Isn't that so cool? That's such a good idea. All that's right. so and cool. Th- that's series one. I would say that. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. another interesting thing. There's only three fucking episodes in this entire season or series. Yeah, right? Once once it got acquired by Netflix, they literally released in one day the same amount of episodes that was in the entire series up until then. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Um, this episode, the first one of series two, "Be Right Back." I think it's kind of one of my favorites, but it also is still like it left me one of my favorites. But it fucked me up. Yeah, exactly. To I watched this one. I watched this one in that reviewing class as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Michael knows this, but throughout the entire thing, I am quietly sobbing in the back of the class and just texting him, "I love you." Right? It's just I so love sad. You. <laughs> this would be a, like a pretty cool, like full movie. That um, would be so a really cool full movie. This Robert Downey Jr. Get on it. Yeah, right. This guy Ash lives with his girlfriend Martha and Bill they, Weasley. He, and so I'm gonna get to it. Okay. Okay. Um, he spends a lot of time on social media, and one day he dies in a traffic accident. A few days later, Martha finds out that she's pregnant and decides to use a new technology that is able to simulate Ash's voice and personality on the phone based on his social media profile and other audiovisual information that she gives to this service. It helps her to overcome her despair until one day she accidentally drops her phone and panics. The artificial Ash tells her that the service's experimental stage is one that um, she can have a replica that is basically all of this information that she's given the system into like a synthetic body which is it's creepy. basically it's basically a sea monkey that turns yeah, into yes that turns really into is. a dude um <laughs> so a- after time martha realizes that the android is not able to replicate the small details of her loved one's behavior and starts dis- distancing herself from it and finally she takes the artificial ash to a cliff and orders it to jump off as it begins to follow the order, she expresses her frustration that Ash would never ha- simply obey something like that. And as a response, the android begins um, begging for its life. And unable yep. to get rid of it, she ends up keeping it in the attic, where a few le- years later, her daughter visits visits it every weekend. 
creepy as Which hell. is, yeah, which is fucked. Yeah. Can you imagine? My mommy keeps my daddy in the attic. Yeah, terrifying. So, um, the girl who plays Martha is Haley Atwell. Great name. Um, she I feel like plays- I've heard that one before. Her name? Yeah. Yeah, it's me. No, that's not it. <laughs> uh, she plays Peggy Carter in the like multiple Marvel Universe movies, in, including Agent Carter. In the Marvel Universe movies, I was going to say, and she had her own show. Let's not sleep yes. on that. No, I'm getting to Home it. Homegirl came to play. And how do you sp- how do you pronounce this guy's name? Dom D O M H. What is it? Domnal Gleason. Domnal. Domnal. Okay, Domnal Gleason. Yeah, Bill Weasley in Harry Potter. He was Bill General Weasley. Hux in The Force Awakens and The Last yes, Jedi. Yes, he was. Yes, and he, he was. was in a cute rom com. With- I was hoping you would yes. mention this. I love it. He's <sighs> in a movie called About Time. Such with, a good movie. Um, Rachel if you hate rom-coms, this is the movie for you. It was really good. If you like Time Traveler's Wife, you like this I was going to say, yeah. no, 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 no. If you hated Time Traveler's Wife, then you'll really? like this movie. I could not stand Time Traveler's Wife. I thought it was such a like stupid concept. This movie perfected it. It was like the differences between Just Friends and No Strings Attached, how Just Friends is clearly the better, like... Two friends decide to fuck rom com. <laughs> yeah, that's a genre. Yes, it's, it's sad. It's that that's a genre. Such a, it's such a. It, but remember though, because No Strings Attached and Just Friends came out literally a couple of months apart. Yeah, and that's about how um, the time the time traveler's wife and about time did it. And also, what's her name? Rachel McAdams apparently has a time travel fetish because she stars in both. Fun She's fact. In the time traveler's wife? Yeah, she is the time traveler's wife. Oh, I totally forgot about Twice. that. Twice. Anyway, getting back to the episode, uh, one <laughs> of the main themes of the episode is about social media addiction, obviously. So for the most time that we see Ash alive, he's on his phone. At, a f- yes. at his funeral, a friend calls him a, quote, heavy user of social media. And since it's never really revealed how Ash died, we can guess that it was probably something to do with distracted driving while on his cell phone. Well, and also because in the beginning of the episode, they're at a rest stop and she's getting like coffee and food and yeah. whatnot. And, and he, she gets he in the can't car. even open the door for her. He can't even open the door for her, but also he still has his phone like on and in his hand when he's like turning the car on and starting to leave. And she was like, oh, no, 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 yeah. honey. Yeah. Um, so honestly, bitch had it coming. Yeah. But after Ash dies, the addiction to technology gets passed on to Martha, who yeah. absorbs every bit of her AI boyfriend that she possibly can. And she panics when she drops her phone because she cannot see the difference between her dead boyfriend and the fake voice that's on the phone. Yep. Um, so once Martha gets the AI version of Ash, we see her distancing herself from all the real people in her life. Another oh, yeah. example of how today we spend most of our time interacting with digital versions of our friends and, yep. and not the actual people. Hi. So, <laughs> yeah. Me, always. But you're far away. That's different. Doesn't, um, no, no, no. It doesn't matter. I could make friends out here. I just no. choose not to. My internet friends are good enough for me. <laughs> uh, in Harry's Moving Castle, uh, his analysis of the episode, he also brings up an interesting point regarding the juxtaposition between the two births in the episode. Although we don't see uh, Ash and Martha's baby being born, we associate birth and new life with light and happiness. 
and we experience the rebirth of Ash in a dark bathroom. Yes. Um, the artifice starts to... Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, the artifice starts to crumble when Martha realizes that this fake version of the man that she loved lacks the real emotional connection uh, that they had in everyday life because it wasn't being recorded through social media. Yep. The AI Ash would have no knowledge of this part of him. Yep. Um, he when only Martha knows orders... what was recorded. What? He only knows what was recorded because that yeah. was what he could download. Yeah, exactly. So when Martha orders AI Ash to jump off the cliff, she realizes um, that she's just clinging to his memory and not him. And um, this episode also brings up ethical data usage and whether it would be yep. beneficial to someone going through grief like Martha is. Um, it boils down to profiting off of grief. Playing yeah. on Martha's emotions, she purchases the AI Ash for what is referred to in the episode as, quote, not cheap. So yeah. in the end, he is put into the attic uh, with storage, pretty much, and left to be a memory. Mm -hmm. um, the message of the episode is pretty much the inadequacy of artificiality. Uh, there's no amount of AI or synthetic anything that can replace the missing element of real human interaction and connection. Yeah. So um, in an interview with Time Out, Brooker says that Be Right Back partially originated from a thought a few months after the death of a person that he knew when he was removing unneeded contacts from his phone, he considered how it would be kind of weirdly disrespectful to delete this person's name. Um, another, even though it had, he didn't need the phone number anymore. His friend is not right. the phone number. Right. But it just felt like that was a part of them. Then yeah. now you're deleting it. You're getting rid of it. Um, another idea related to the episode came when Brooker was on Twitter and had a thought, what if all these people were dead and it was a software emulating their thoughts? Brooker also considered the uh, inauthenticity of social media users commenting on um, in another interview, quote, I found myself being inauthentic on there and it reminded me of writing columns for a newspaper. So let's see, what else do I have? An unused idea for the episode was to have the audience realize what a money-making scheme that the AI company was in the episode. And mm -hmm. in an interview, Brooker said, quote, there was a point where she runs out of credit and has to top it up. I think that was even an episode, uh, a scene that we shot. Another idea was for viewers to um, see other people who had been brought back from the dead through their social media profiles. Um, I mean... And we kind of have that, not completely to this degree, but for example, how Facebook has started, they'll turn people's Facebook profiles upon like request and with proper proof into a quote, remembering like John yeah. Smith profile. So all of their stuff is preserved forever and their families can still post on their walls and message them and things like that and tag them in photos. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> just a little, little this creep. is a little this is a little further than that yeah yeah well brooker calls the episode a quote ghost story yeah and david sims of the av club describes it as a spare and haunting piece mm -hmm. charles bramsco vulture writes that it is a high concept tearjerker uh which yes. amalgamates as a cerebral sci-fi thought experiment and has a sentimental core which you yeah. quite literally start crying the first five minutes in and do not stop until yeah, right? you get to like midway through season three, at which point you start crying again for other reasons. Yeah. Um, 
they a couple of reviewers have um, compared it to some other works, including The Monkey's Paw, um, a storyline by Philip K. Philip K. Dick called <laughs> Ubik. I forgot about Philip K. Dick. <laughs> um, and a film called Starman, but nobody. I haven't seen anything. Uh, I probably not the first person that thought this, but I would say it's most closely related to Pet Cemetery. Oh, that makes the, sense. Um, the like in the beginning of Pet Cemetery, the kid dies. They yeah. go to the cemetery where they can bring him back. The kid comes back, and it's not like him. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, and also everyone, um, not everyone, a bunch of people have said that it um, it shows a similar storyline to the film Her with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, and how he falls in love with this synthetic voice. Uh, unlike Basically, past episodes, he, we were talking uh, about her last night because we were trying to decide whether or not we were in the mood to like watch it or not <laughs> yeah because it requires a very specific kind of mood um, it does it does and mike and i don't remember what michael was saying about it like it, he knew what the movie was about we both did but then we were i think we were talking about how scarlett johansson was um there was another woman initially cast as the voice and then they didn't think she sounded sexy enough so they recast scarlett johansson in the role Ooh, i know that's fucked up right and yeah. um but so no so but i just kept being like yeah no and so he fell in love with siri and he wants to fuck siri and it's just because that's basically the concept of the movie yeah pretty much he wants to fuck alexa yeah so unlike now, past episodes, i, I hope this everybody episode... is also listening to this with their headphones out and their sound on so that every time I say Alexa, their Alexa starts going, yeah, what's up? What do you need? <laughs> what you need? <laughs> hey, Alexa. Uh, <laughs> did it go okay, off? Okay, you can. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have one. So oh, okay. didn't go off in my house apartment. I don't I'm not thing. one of them rich people. Them rich I'm not folk. one of them rich bitches. <laughs> this podcast uh, this epi- ain't monetized. <laughs> this episode uh, shows us... Um, a character meeting technology for the first time rather than living with it for a while through Martha. She has yes. never experienced all this stuff before and is not addicted to technology the way Ash was. Right. Um, another person says that the underlying theme is about technology's effect on relationships, which is a huge thing if you have someone, if you're with someone that's quite techy, mm-hmm. as we be. I was going to say, so we're the ones that are going to end up buying these sea monkey Domino Gleasons. I don't want an AI weirdo boyfriend. Um, I, I was, was going to make a joke about Elliot, but I love him very much. Because I was going to be like, you already have an AI weirdo boyfriend. I mean, <laughs> you not don't untrue. need two of them. <laughs> not untrue. Um <laughs> Maura Johnson of the Boston Globe says that the episode, um, quote, offers insight into not just the grieving process, but the way people portray themselves in an increasingly meditated public spaces, which makes a powerful statement on contemporary culture. Mm-hmm. So, Ash, AI Ash is not the real Ash because of the fake shit that he was, not fake, but um, the person that he was online was not the person he was. Right. In their relationship. Everybody puts on a certain facade, whether they intend to or not. For example, like, you don't 
talk about, hey, yeah, I was puking my guts out this morning because I had a bad thing of chicken tikka masala last night. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, that's not something that people post. Everybody has a little, and it's not just to save face with your friends or try to look cool or whatever. It's you've got, you don't know who's looking at your social media. You don't know if it's a future employer. You don't know if it's somebody who's going to allow you to do a grant or... Mm -hmm whether it's your soon to be like like in-laws or whatever it could be like you don't want to like look at this guy did you hear about the guy in um what's the movie that everybody's going head over heels over right now to all the boys i loved before yeah yeah that's on netflix yeah and one of the actors um who he was also in happy death day people started unearthing his old tweets and he was like liking and tweeting about some pretty offensive stuff concerning Black Lives Matter and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And and it was many, many moons ago, but at the same time, and this is happening yeah, more now and more now. Yeah, you're still being judged for it. Yeah. yeah. It, I think uh, I'm going to get to ooh. that. I think I mentioned something about that in um, a later episode. Maybe it's the Waldo moment. I don't really remember. Oh, that would But I wrote sense. something about that, how, like, something small like that, something you tweeted... Eight years ago. Ten years ago, just, yeah. Yeah, could just ruin your career. Look at career. James Gunn. Yeah, exactly. He... Um, he uh. <laughs> another interesting point um, and another comparison to another movie or novel or whatever. Emily Yoshida of Grantland says that the presence of the AI version of Ash is, quote, somehow menacing, even though he complete, he appears completely docile, like Frankenstein's yeah. monster. He's not scary because of the bodily threat that he poses, but because of the manifestation of our hero's lack of forethought. So yeah. she further comments that um, Martha's inability to resist Ash is punctuated with moments of real revulsion at the situation that she's put herself in. Completely. Yeah. Uh, Sim, uh, another person stated that the replica is the replica of Ash is self-aware and it knows that it can't fully replace the real Ash and it knows its parameters as a computer program so it's kind of like a little lost puppy it knows that Bas- it basically yeah. knows that it's a computer no, basically. which is it makes it even creepier it's no different it's like Siri is self-aware enough that she knows that she's not a human like if you ask her certain things she'll be like what the fuck I'm not a human yeah but at the same time she tries to assimilate to a degree that you trust her enough that you almost forget yeah all right. Up until right. you listen to this podcast episode, at which point you're like, oh shit, you're right. Yeah. We're like an hour in, I think. We are like an and hour in. We still in. have one, Couple. two, three, four. Oh, I have like five episodes that I was going to talk about. So let me, let me do one more and then see if we can make it into a two-parter. If not, it might have to be a three-parter because there's a lot to talk about, people. Yeehaw! <laughs> the next episode is a real fan favorite. I know a lot of people, this is like one of their number one white bear. Yes. It has such a twist now, at the see, end, which was really good. I was going to say, it. I say yes because it's a lot of people's favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not one of mine. I thought it was kind of overdone. It's in top ten. No. 
I like it. We'll we'll talk about our our top after we after we talk about every episode. We'll yes. rank our like yes top favorite and least favorite. But anyway, yes. so white bear. So a woman wakes up in a house with amnesia, and she notices people on the street recording her on their phones. But when she tries to speak to them, she she gets completely ignored. Uh, right. Then a masked man opens fire at her with a shotgun. She flees and meets this girl named Jem, and she's another girl that's running away from these quote unquote hunters. Jem explains that the people recording her have been affected by a signal that appears on everyone's screens, and while the hunters are unaffected and they're just acting sadistically, the woman follows Jem to uh, on a plan to reach a transmitter and destroy it so that everyone can go back to normal. When they reach the facilities, they are attacked by two more hunters, and the woman manages to wrestle a shotgun away, but when she pulls the trigger, it only sprays confetti, realizing that yep. everything has been completely staged. The woman is told that her name is Victoria Scalane and that she is found guilty for her part in a brutal killing of a young girl. She has been sentenced to undergo this psychological torture daily in the White Bear Justice Park, where yep. the visitors are allowed to record her daily suffering as a safari-type amusement ride, almost. Yeah. Uh, Victoria is returned to the house where she awoke and has her memory of the day's events wiped clean in an extremely painful procedure and then has to go through it all again. Yep. Which is nuts. It's Yeah, it's fucked. Yeah. So uh, the girl that plays Victoria Scalane is Lenora Critchlow, which I love that name, Lenora. It's very cool. Uh, she mm -hmm. played Maria Sugar Sweet in BB BBC4's comedy drama Sugar Rush. Never seen oh. it. But I've never seen it, but I've heard the name. Yeah. It's very weird that she went from a comedy drama to, like, this fucking nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this episode sets out to examine the notions of trial by media, stagecraft, and fake news, uh, completely controlled synthetic environments, vigilanteism, violence as entertainment, and media coverage of murders. So there's a lot to unpack in this episode. Right. Um, yeah. It also explains, um, well, sets to look into torture and the ethical uses for technology um, as just as a whole. Yeah. Um, for the first two-thirds of this episode, we're just as confused as Victoria is. We don't know what her name is, where she is, the people, like, what the people on their phones are doing, and why she's even being hunted. So this allows us to s sympathize with this main character and root for her uh, to find a way out of this situation. So we're on her side like the bulk of the episode yeah um, we get some idea to the bigger event that's going on through her flashbacks but even those could be manufactured since she's had her memory wiped so many times um this can be a an example of fake news right these memories are being almost projected into her head and thought to be real um yeah whether she's guilty or not is irrelevant in the episode despite the lack of evidence that we actually see about her conviction and the case and it opens up the discussion about torture and how we as a society view crime and punishment um criminals certainly deserve to be punished but if they've if they've done something wrong but would right anything justify a torture like this i, mean, I don't think so yeah to have like, this person just... go through every single day like this I mean, it depends, I think, on the crime, and I'm not trying to belittle the crime that she committed. Allegedly just, committed, because there's, really, yes. there's not really any proof. Like, I just, I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, I feel uh, like I'm also the type of person who doesn't believe in the death penalty. So I think that your feelings on I think this is worse than the death penalty. I, I think yeah, and I think <laughs> your feeling, but I think your feelings on the death penalty affect your feelings on this episode whether or not they think that whether or not you think that white bear is a reasonable punishment yeah but this this kind of torture also kind of turns her into a type of like love to hate her celebrity when um the the guy the park's owner baxter encourages everyone to take photos and videos and she gets paraded in front of everyone in a light-up Pope mobile. Yes. <laughs> like, she's strapped to a chair that re- that resembles an electric chair. You're right. And she puts, she's get, puts in this, like, light-up Pope mobile and is going down. And, like, it, it looks like she's pretty much going down, like, a red carpet because there's people lining both sides. If you watched it on mute, you don't know if the people are screaming yeah. at her because they hate her or they're cheering. Yeah. So it, it's a weird thing. So um, Brooker originally envisioned that the episode was a, quote, straightforward zombie apocalypse story. And he originally thought it would feature the same exact woman, but as a journalist. And the same signal would be affecting people all over the world. And um, it was to end with a public crucifix- crucifixion. Although Brooker um, has not specified whether uh, the main character was actually going to die. The twist right. ending was not in the original script, which is very interesting. It was only when they were scouting for locations at a former Royal Air Force base where he saw the fence that he came up with it. Brooker mm-hmm. then rewrote the entire script in two days in a, quote, bit of a fever dream. <laughs> as as one does, yes. Yes. Was it a fever dream or was it under the influence of a, of a something? Because this is fucking I mean, crazy. I'm not going to do the ass thing and just go ahead and assume... I don't but, know. Like, I don't. If this just comes into somebody's head, all not. I was gonna say by any drugs, <laughs> then wow. I what mean, a, what a world we live in. What a wonderful world. Yes. Yeah. Um. Where am I? Yeah, he noted that um, he had never changed a script so dramatically so late into the production process. He yeah. rewrote it four times. And the original idea came to him when he was show running a zombie series called Dead Set. And during the shooting of a scene okay. where a character is chased by a zombie, some children appear and start filming and taking photos on their phones. He considered it to be a, quote, um, an interesting and frightening image because they're standing there and they're not intervening. So yeah. Brooker converted it into the script for Dead Set. Um, in which a photograph goes viral on social media and, uh, quote, unlocks this primal urge for people to be voyeurs of agony. And although the idea was uh, given the green light, they didn't have the budget to actually do it. So that's how it became this episode. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Brooker had other ideas that were removed from the original script because they would be too complicated to do. He said that... um, he could use the ideas for a sequel story, which would involve the main character finding messages that she had left for herself on previous days as the process of erasing her mind starts to malfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, actually, he can't do a sequel story anymore because the location where they shot this episode doesn't exist. So what? now he feels, yeah, uh, they. I guess they're using the um, 
that location for something else now. I don't know if they built on it or it's being huh. used for something else. They can't even use it anymore. So if oh, they wow. wanted to do it in the same place, they can't. Um, oh, that's, so, that could be an interesting thing yeah, to right? do to put though, it in somewhere different. But he yeah. said now he felt it would be more practical to do it in maybe a graphic novel and rather than oh, trying to recreate yeah. the scenario that they already had. Which would be really that interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. I would like to see sequels of a lot of these episodes as graphic novels, not necessarily as like a sequel episode. One of these episodes, which will come to be listed as my favorite whenever we're done with this, whether it's a two-parter or a three-parter, I would watch an entire series of, like a friend's length series. I don't know. I think you'd be disappointed with it if it was... I would not. You, Haley knows the episode I'm talking about. I would not. Yeah. I would I love every second of that. I don't know. And um, cry every second. Uh, this episode has actually um, been identified by a bunch of reviewers as having allusions to other real-life murders. Some people said that it reminds oh. them of the Moores murders committed committed by uh, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley, who was a British couple that oh, killed cha- children the in the 60s. Yeah. yeah, right? Uh, the AV Club's David Sims emphasized that the similarities between Victoria's taping and the fact that Hindley uh, taped one of the torture victims. And Ryan Lambie of Den of Geek also found similarities between the episode and uh, Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr's crimes. So another... Oh, oh, hey. Yeah. Very interesting. The more you know. The influence of uh, horror works was highlighted by critics and Brooker himself. Lambie found aspects of the forest scene reminiscent of a um, of 1970s exploitation films. He also felt that there were several visual thematic parallels to The Wicker Man and Kill List. Um, okay. Morgan Jeffrey of Digital Spy affirmed that it is reminiscent of zombie and slasher films and, quote, even yeah, has that's an what unsettling Wicker Man feel. Yeah. Uh, with the notion that society has gone wrong. Brooker commented that it is indeed a Wicker Man style horror. And yeah. he notes that um, someone who likes the original Mc- Wicker Man would appreciate White Bear very much. Which, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Oh yeah, uh, people have also said that similar concepts such as 28 Days Later and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, could also be possible influences. Mm-hmm. I see it a little bit. I can see bit. it a little, but like I'm not very familiar with that <laughs> series, <true>. so <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, know. Paul Bryan, uh, Paul Bryan McCoy, sorry of Comics Bulletin stated that it, quote, recalls any number of zombie apocalypse dramas, including Brooker's own dead set at times, which obviously it would uh, be reminiscent of that series since Brooker worked on it. And it's literally taken a part that couldn't be put into the series into this episode. <laughs> Good. Um, uh, Brooker said that the Hunter's design was inspired by a horror video game called Manhunt. And um, McCoy felt like it. the opening echoed another game called Resident Evil. Uh, I was going to say called Resident Evil, like people don't know. I was going to say, I was like, I I figured 
the way if you were saying that then there had to be people out there who didn't really know it so i was just gonna like continue on with like go along with what you were saying be like okay I'm just yes go under yes the i believe i've heard of that one that people mainly yes. know what resident evil is um and this is one of the episodes that people think is very twilight zone-esque yeah and um yeah i can see yeah that. jeffrey commented that black mirror's roots in the american anthology series have quote never been more visible and uh, David Sims affirmed that White Bear is the mo- most Twilighty Zone episode of the show thus far. Okay, thus um, far because I was gonna wait. Thus far, as in at the time of that at the time publication. Of this, yeah, yeah. So other seasons have not happened yet. No. Okay, because I was gonna say there's one in particular that comes out in my mind that is extremely Twilight Zoney, like. It mm-hmm. was. Pr- it looks like it was hand picked out of one of Rod Sterling's reject piles. Yeah, uh, Lindsay Weber of Vulture actually said in um, a post viewing guide that she made for her article that um, that if you liked this episode, you should watch the Twilight Zone episode Five Characters in Search of an Exit" as a kind of yeah. bonus watching of yeah. this. Um, Brooker said that the episode, quote, it delivers on one, one level of horror and then the trapdoor opens and there are several additional levels of horror. Yeah. In some way um, that must confirm to you the world is a horrible place because it presents a society in which the world is a horrible place. If you're neurotic and fearful, then maybe White Bear tickles the synapses. But it's reassuring in some way to watch films that reveal society to be insane and heartless. It's like the filmmakers are saying, we're not just saying that this is a realistic portrayal. It's a chilling nightmare. Oh, absolutely. Which, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And that's where I'm going to end it for this week. Aww. Just because I, I overshot it. I did a little too much research. You went a little too hard, but I love you <laughs> I for it. I went a little too hard. Because this is going to be our, our longest episode. So I don't want people to get bored and leave. I mean, can I get bored and leave? I'm already bored and leaving. Are we Are we bored? Are we leaving? We're not bored. We're leaving. We're definitely not bored. Like, no. <laughs> as I said that, I was like, I wonder if people are actually going to think that we're bored because we're not. We think no. we're fabulous. And no, I, I spent so much time doing the research on this because I'm so it's deep so in. It's so cool. It's, yeah. it's, it's like in terms of its relation to crime in terms of its relation to like real life it's just yeah there's there's a lot of things things out there right now in terms of entertainment and television we're gonna we're gonna talk about like different horror things different crime things uh right like a bunch of different stuff but um i just like the series and obviously twilight zone any series that you can just Put on an episode. You don't have to know anything before. You don't have to follow along. Just watch a single episode, and that's your story. That's it. That's done. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't go on for too long because yep. it's a series that goes on for, like, seven seasons. You have to follow the same characters. You don't have to flip out about, like, a cliffhanger. They're just, like, little short movies. Yes. Like, one in uh, series four that we'll get to is, in my opinion, add... 20 minutes to it and it's a fantastic movie i think i know what one you're talking about too yeah it's 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 nuts but anyway we'll talk about that when we get there if you want to see any more information 
on the stuff we've already talked about. I'm, I'm going to try to weed through everything and make sure I don't post anything that we haven't talked about yet. Okay. But I'm going to put it on the website, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Come on, you can't start forgetting now. No. Uh, and then you can email us if you have anything, if you know of any little tidbits that we missed so far. Yep. You can Which we probably have. Yes. They can, just they can so email us and tell like, us, I, hey, Caitlin There's so was much wrong. information, I just can't put everything in. It's fucking crazy. No. There's, there's but I, so I tried much. to pick like the best points. Yes. No, um, I think you did a good job. I think you did a good job. And that is my unbiased opinion. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so you can email us anything that you know at um, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Charlie Brooker. And if email you go to, us. Sponsor us. If you go to email our website, just find... Us. If you go to our website, just find all the links to all of our social medias. Twitter. Yes. Uh, Facebook. Instagram. Everything. Everything's The there. gram. Hashtag the gram. the gram. Hashtag the gram. Yeet. All right. All right. That's enough for one day. All right. Look I at us go. hope you guys enjoy it. Yes. Go outside, get some fresh air, binge some Black Mirror, come back, or no, come back inside, then binge the Black Mirror, because if you're going outside, it's- You can watch Black Mirror outside. Yeah, but, like, there's the glare on your own Black Mirror, like, you can't really see, and it's just- I can feel that. Yep. Unfortunately, I don't have a podcast here to uh, sign this off. No, Mo, come back! (sighs) No, I know, I know. Why did we adopt you? What, What was the point of getting you? <gasps> you had one terrible. job. He's, right, he's also not ours. He's also not ours, so that's fine. No. no. Um he's Elliot's. Yeah. But that's fine. Alright. I'm done now. Are you? Yep. Yeah. So there's no part two or three? I mean there will be. I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye bye.